2: Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome on the West Coast at 11, and welcome on the East Coast at 2 p.m. Um, today, our guest is Natori Thomas. She's going to talk about her memoir, which is called How to Die in Paris but she's very much alive and with us. She grew up in New Jersey and spent her 20s in the wilds of New York. During that time, she held a variety of jobs, including TV actress, factory worker, children's book author, tennis teacher, and receptionist who kept disconnecting connected you. Upon return from a 10-month stint in Europe, she returned to college to study writing at the New York School, at the New School University in Manhattan. She currently lives in Notting Hill, which is near London, and uh, getting her master's degree. And her book is about her troubles her tri- in her life. In 2004, Natori Thomas traveled to Paris with the intention of committing suicide. Instead, she spent nearly a month living on the street, during which time she fought off predators, went days without food, with less than a dollar to her name, and no way to contact anyone back home. It was only a series of miracles saved her from certain death. Welcome, Natori.
2: Thank you Patricia.
1: Yeah, this is quite a story of survival, of healing, of self-discovery. What is I'm going to start at the end at the beginning and work backwards. Okay. What's okay. your message? What why did you write this and what is it you want to get you want our listeners to gain
2: from this? Well, um the main message I want I want um, my readers to gain is is um when I was out there, the reason I was out there was because I was depressed. And um because I was depressed, I wasn't thinking clearly, but even bigger than that, I, I was afraid to reach out for help. I was a very I was ashamed to be in the position I was in. I was ashamed mm-hmm. of being depressed. And um I just want people who um are ever going through depression because it does strike a lot of us um to to be aware that Um, the depression is like an illness, and it's it's, uh, coloring their feelings, and that no one should be ashamed or afraid to reach out for help because I had a lot of people, you know, um, on my side who easily could have helped me get out of that situation if only I I had asked.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm. And also to be
2: aware of the signs of depression in in others so that that people can, like, know what to look for in their friends and relatives if they need a helping hand, if they need someone to talk to or the help of a professional.
1: What would you say some of those signs are?
2: Oh, uh, well, I was very impulsive. Um, obviously, since I since I used my last money to travel to Paris to jump off the Eiffel Tower, that 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 that's like <laughs> that would epitomize impulsivity. Um, uh, I, I, was, so I making, was I was I was. I'm sorry.
1: Go ahead. So making decisions that were rash decisions.
2: Yes, extremely. Uh, I, everything set me off. Everything was, every little problem was like a huge deal. It felt like everything was just one more burden rather than just everyday life. I spent a lot of time crying. Um, I, I isolated myself sh- socially and I just, I just wasn't thinking clearly about my future or my present. Hmm.
1: So, if someone listening to this knows someone going through any of those symptoms,
2: what should you do? Uh, I would just encourage, I, I would encourage that person to just try to gently approach it, their friend or relative and, and just, and not, not, not really give advice, but just be, uh, just be a, 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 an ear for them to talk to. And sometimes when you're talking to someone who's sympathetic, the problems sort of present themselves in a clearer way. Um, that may that might lead you to a solution. If they're very bad off, maybe suggest talking to a professional or give them a mm-hmm. book or mm-hmm. yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just now, let them know they're not you? completely I mean, alone. You went,
1: you went to Paris to die, as you say. What yeah. saved you? Uh, what What saved you from doing that? What was it? What was that defining moment?
2: The defining moment? You know what? There there were several. There were several. Um. I think I think that i tried I tried to to kill myself a couple of times, and um i I think one of the things that saved me is just i was I was just spectacularly bad at it, you know um <laughs> um like for instance, when I went to the eiffel tower i I remember it all of a sudden when I was standing there like, oh, I'm afraid of heights, like I was afraid to even look up that far, so I just, mm. but um uh, but they were just that, so many helped little miracles I-
1: that helped you, didn't it <laughs> yeah,.
2: yeah. <laughs> Um, Yeah, there's so many miracles, so many like people I ran into who strangers who like helped me and saved me and and let and and saved me at least for the moment and helped me feel less isolated, so I could sort of work out my problems as much as I could when I was out on the streets.
1: Isolation is a big issue, isn't it?
2: Yes, yes,
1: yes. You know, I I interviewed a woman by the name of Melinda Blau who wrote a book called Consequential Strangers. Reminds Mm -hmm. me of what you're saying. Is she talks about the people who come into our life who are relative strangers who can save our life. Yes, so talk about some of those experiences you had with strangers that really uplifted you and made a difference.
2: Okay, I met I met a lot of people. Like I met um, let's see, I met a squatter um, who befriended me and and just kept me company one night and, and and let me stay in this in this sort of like like makeshift camp. Where he and his friends were staying, and just really like took me under his wing, but the thing is, I, I felt like and that saved me for a while because I was like because I just needed I just needed a good night's sleep, and uh, he, he made sure I had a sandwich and everything, but then I felt like if I threw my lot in with, with these people, with these kids, because there's a big underground society of street kids in Paris I don't know if a lot of people know that, and they were really great and they were a really strong community, but that's not what I wanted I, I felt like I could get too drawn into that, but that did give me the strength to say, okay, if, if you can say one thing that you don't want, it, it makes you focus on, okay, what do I want, and sort of like mm. move towards that, you know. Mm.
1: Mm. So it was a variety of experiences. But you say you could have been part of that society, but you didn't want to be. Why didn't you want to be? What was it that pulled you away?
2: Well, I didn't. I didn't like. Being, I didn't want to be homeless. Like I, I wanted, what I really wanted was just to have like a normal life. And I sort of left do a normal more for life, yourself. right? You wanted was more that?
1: for yourself. You wanted more for yourself.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did. Um, I, and I had, I, I had a normal life back home before I left. It wasn't very satisfactory. But the thing is, it's sort, it's sort of like I had to leave that and just be sort of stripped of all my comforts. That, and so that would force me to look back on my life because I wasn't going to be able to move forward until I'd started examining my past.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's another question I have for you, Natori. When, sure. you, when you lost everything, I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of not having what you had before, what do you think is the greatest lesson you've learned from that
2: today? What, what gift did that bring you? You mean when I, you mean when I was just like kind of out on the streets and I couldn't yes. even get to my luggage yes. or anything like that? Yes. Oh gosh. Um, was hmm, it appreciating what so you many. what you
1: had before? Was it knowing that life is precious? I mean, what was it?
2: Well, one thing it made me do was it made me. Um, it would, like I said, it made me um, confront my past and realize that I was a lot stronger than mm. um than I was just because I was surviving like hand to mouth not even hand to mouth because I wasn't eating some days, and also I think I'm fortunate that this took place in Paris because I mm. I was outside all the time I, I i mean Paris is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, as we all know, and it was it was almost it is impossible to be too depressed, just surrounded by all this beauty
0: mm. hmm.
1: So when you say underground society, what do you mean? People who were on the streets, so to speak? Yeah, uh, there
2: was a bunch of street kids. A lot of them were immigrants, but uh, I would say the majority of them were, were Parisian kids who, for whatever reason, had run away from home or just dropped out of school and society. And they all sort of lived together and formed this and, and formed this little community where they helped each other and and supported wow. each other and found places for for each other to sleep. And it was it was it was really um, it was really inspiring to To watch them and watch how how good they were with each other and caring and stuff and how they gave, they they gained support from each other. Just watching that community, even though I, I chose not to be a part of it, it made me feel less isolated to know that that's out there in various mm. forms. Hmm.
1: What are some of the other stories you might want to share with or defining moments when you were there in terms of really showing you? Um, Self love and self discovery and healing. Hmm. I, I mean, you talked here the- about a library that offers warmth, a sandwich abandoned in a phone book, the phone booth, the generosity of
2: strangers, that you really yeah, okay. began
1: to see the beauty in those things.
2: Okay, I okay, I think maybe the major turning point was one night, um, I, I fought off a would be rapist. And um, the thing is, I, I almost, the reason I, I almost fell victim to him was because we were in a building. I'd gone, I'd gone with him, not knowing that he was going to attack me. Uh We were in a building, and it was nighttime, and I was afraid to scream because that would be embarrassing. And then, <laughs> so I was, like, whispering to him to, like, you know, get off me and stuff. And then I was like, wait a minute, why am I whispering? And the minute I screamed... You know, he panicked and ran away, and you could see light come on in the buildings. And I realized, well, you know, all I have to, if I just, you know, sort of scream, you know, in my soul in a way—not to sound cheesy, but he just sort of like, like, you know, if I just reach out for help, I can, I can, I can save myself, basically. Like it was the first time I really like asserted myself. And, you know, without worrying about what people thought and stuff. Because that's a big theme in my book, that even though I was, like, poor and destitute and depressed, I didn't want anyone to know. Like, whenever I cried on the street, like, I had my sunglasses on so no one, be, no one would be able to tell. Mm. Right. So that, that was that a was big started. deal to me, like, always putting up a front. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. How did you come back here? What happened there that brought you back here? Tell us that part of the story.
2: Oh, well, I, um, I was very lucky to, um, when I finally did get settled, I stayed in a, I stayed in a youth hostel where uh, a lot of the people who were there were staying for a few months. There were people from other countries, um, Sweden, uh, America, Australia, Mexico, and they wanted to make a life in Paris, and so I, um, I, I made a lot of friends, and I, I, I got a big support network And I ended up crashing on people's couches, and um, they helped me find part-time jobs. And it took a while. I believe it took like seven, eight months, but I finally scraped up enough to to go back home and start again. Mm. And tell us about what you're doing now. Now I'm in London and I'm finishing up my masters in creative nonfiction which sounds weird because I already published a book but I'm still in school but uh I mean I I I mean the, the book was like uh, what happened was like you know the biggest thing in my life but it, it just conveniently happened to have a narrative arc I'm not going to say it wrote itself but it was it was it, it made things easier the way everything fell into place but um you know as writers we always have a lot to learn and I'm learning a lot from my program. It's been really great. And I'm, and I'm finishing up my second book now, so.
1: Mm.
2: And your second book will be on? Oh, my second book will be a collection of, uh, novella-length memoirs, but the main one is written as a fairy tale about what happened when I started an affair with my married boss. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's a fairy tale. It, it's written as a fairy tale, yeah. Because I mean, I mean, the 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 affair books have been done to death, so I thought I'd try something new, and I thought I'd sort of write it as a humorous fairy tale where I am a fragile, sensitive, chain-smoking damsel in distress.
1: So Very interesting.
2: interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so.
1: <laughs> you know, one of the things that that I've been reading about in your book is that mm-hmm. this whole experience that you had in Paris. Kind of freed yourself, from, freed you from this denial and your defenses that were holding you back. Yes. Explain that. Yes. Explain that. You know, when you said, "Well, I cried a lot or I hit a lot," it sounds like you're not
2: doing that now.
1: Explain the difference.
2: Well, uh, like I said, when I when I was out there of course, when you find yourself homeless in another country with no way to get back home, you're sort of forced to ask yourself, well, how did I get here? What brought me to this point? And I started having to um, think back to my childhood. At that point, I'd been estranged from my parents for years. I still am. Um, But I just sort of like left the family. I'd, I'd never... And I felt, okay, once I was out of that toxic environment, I was fine. But I wasn't fine. There was still a lot of scars and a lot of memories and a lot of unresolved issues that I had. So I really had to, as I was walking the streets all day and all night, I was I was reliving my childhood and, and my, my teenage years and my young adulthood trying to, you know, put the puzzle together, in a matter of speaking. Mm. Mm. So what is your... What is your advice
1: to other people going through what you went through?
2: Uh, you mean you mean like just like chronic depression or yes? Oh gosh, my 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 main my main advice is, is just talk to someone. Just talk to a trusted friend. Talk to a religious leader um, or a counselor. Um, talk to a professional like like a therapist. But but just talk to someone who you know. We'll we'll listen to you and, and won't judge you. And another thing is and another and it's not just about other people, it's also about yourself. Like not everyone um enjoys writing, but for those who do, just to to log your thoughts in a journal just to get more in touch with them. Sometimes just in the act of writing, writing down your questions, you find the answers. I found that happens with a lot of people. Mm, yeah. Yes, the
1: journaling, very, very important. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing I want you to say is about the, the press who published your book, Seal Press. And they mm-hmm. really provide a forum for women writers.
2: And, yeah, they, yeah they, do. Know, they do.
1: Right. And for often radical and original thinkers who have a distinct point of view. So it's really, um, and it's a mm-hmm. member of per- Perseus groups. So. Yes, it Yeah. Uh, gives folks like yourself a real avenue to express and to help other people through your own experience.
2: Yeah, they do. They put out some good books. They put out they put out um, small, quirky, um, offbeat stories that, that that really have an authentic voice and really and sometimes um, show a, show like a way of life that um, most people wouldn't be exposed to. So yeah, mm-hmm. they, they, they they have a good list. Yeah.
1: Tell us some of the let's say blessings or beautiful things that you had in in your journey when you were in Paris or even before that what What were some of the things you know as we talked about a stranger who you know offered you a place to sleep, but what were some of the other little things that happened to you along the way that now, when you look back, you consider are blessings
2: hmm well i'd always wanted to go to europe it was I was thirty it was my first time out of the country and i, I started my journey in, in italy um, that 's where I was first before I went to paris and just traveling all through Italy through Florence and siena and and southern Italy, and then making my way over to paris I was just I was shocked by by the beauty and the history of the country it was like it was It was the most beautiful year of my life just everywhere I looked was just was just glorious. And um it, it really made me think all the time, like, well, how can you leave a world with, with all this beauty in it? Um, just seeing another way of life, other different ways of life that I hadn't been exposed to um, really, really opened my mind to the fact that, well, I wasn't happy with my life in, a, in the States, but I, I can change it. I, could, I can be anything I want to be. Um, mm-hmm. I also found that being forced to speak in a foreign language... You really have to listen to yourself, and you can find out you can find out what what you say a lot. Like I realize, I said I qualified everything I said in French with "I think, I think, I think," even if I knew it for certain. Like I would say, "I think it's raining," even if I just come out of the rain, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, it forced me in English to stop that and, and become a little bit more assertive when I when I spoke. Mm-hmm. So there, there are really a lot of blessings in all of this. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Not to mention the <laughs> not to mention the, the friends I made after after that my ordeal with homelessness was over. Um, friends, the friends I still have to this day. So I'm I'm very grateful for that as well.
1: Yeah, speak about the stigma, particularly in this country, on homelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, the view many times the people are lazy or they you know they've squandered their money. Okay which many times isn't the case at all. So talk about
2: that well i i I think I don't know if that's not changing now um not not for a good reason, but just with the recession uh you there are so many people now who've always worked and done the right thing and paid their bills and they they either lost their jobs or they or they had an illness and and they couldn't keep- and they didn't have insurance and and that drove them to bankruptcy and they're just like out on the streets or sleeping in hotels or something so I think more and more people are seeing that quite often it's not it's not the homeless person's fault. I mean, sometimes it, there, there there are issues with like drug addiction and bad life choices, but a lot of times you see families in, on the streets and stuff, or teenage runaways, and it's 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 people, it's good people who had bad things happen to them.
1: Hmm. And and so you think because of the economy
2: that there's a different perception now? Uh, I I mean I think so. I mean I, I know I've seen a lot of documentaries recently, and I think I think everyone's pretty. Aware of what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, and tell us what you're doing in London now. Um, well, uh, like I said, I'm in grad school. I'm finishing up my second book, and um, I'm just enjoying. I'm just enjoying London. It's actually been very sunny here for the past week. Everyone's surprised because it, it tends to rain here. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: What made you choose
1: London? Because you came back from Paris to the States. What made you cho- choose London when you came back?
2: Um, I wanted, I, I, have always seen myself living in Europe, like, like spending the rest of my life in Europe, even though, um, I, I, you know, I spent most of my adult life in New York City and I love New York. I feel like it's still the center, center of the universe, but I needed to change. And I figured in London, I don't have to learn a new language. I don't have to, <laughs> I have to speak true. a new language. I, as much as, as much as I love speaking Italian and French, it, 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 you know, it, I, I I write in English, I I speak English, so, you know, but London, a lot of my friends in the States are like, who traveled, are like, oh, I never bothered going to England because I figured it's just like America. It's not. It's totally different. Really? It's it's a very different way of speaking and thinking and perceiving society. It's extremely different.
1: Interesting, and you really like it.
2: Yeah, I I really, really dig it. I want to spend the rest of my life here. At least that's the way I feel today, so... (laughs)
1: Uh-huh. tell people how they can get your book notorious and, and be in touch with you
2: oh absolutely um my website is howtodieinparis.com. dot com um you can order my book directly from seal press powell's books their online site um Amazon has it and um Think that's about I think that's about it. Or um, and, and they small and some small bookstores have it as well. But I know SEAL Press, Amazon and Powell's are the big uh, suppliers.
1: Yeah, and I wanna share with the audience before we close, because we're just about out of time, a little bit more about some of the amazing things you've done. You're a published author of a children's book, Uh oh, it's Mama's birthday. Book was called It Appealing and one of those stories with universal premise you sold your first rights to a full-length comedic play, Hating Raymond. You were a SAG actress appearing on Nickelodeon as the world turns and way, way off-Broadway. And your yeah. fiction poetry and personal essays have been published in many publications. So you've really done a lot. And, of course, you have this book, which is How to Die in Paris, which is a memoir. Thank you so much for being on the program.
2: Oh, Patricia, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun.
1: All right, folks, stay on the line for a minute, Natori. All right, folks, remember stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need. And know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, we're here on Voice America. I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now.